Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Great to hear all the fellowship this morning, and it's nice to be able to uh, actually shake a hand once in a while, isn't it? And uh, to have that freedom of fellowship. Thank you so much, Mel, for sharing that short story with us. Uh, That really does show the amazing sovereignty of our Lord. We experienced the same thing, by the way. Put bid in, lost the house, and oh man, it's frustrating, isn't it? But then uh, God leads you to the right place, and you go, yeah, that was supposed to be it. And uh, you know that that was God's hand. And so it's exciting to hear stories like that. And it also means there's a wedding coming up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Party time. You. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's listen to this verse found in Romans chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Amen? Then heirs. (laughs) Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Praise God. A couple of announcements for us this morning. It's name tag Sunday, of course, again because we're now without masks and we're all trying to figure out who each other are, right? We're used to seeing each other in a mask and we go, oh, you know, put your mask on so I know who you are, right? And uh, that's what I'm having to do because I've only seen you in masks. So now it's like, oh, that's what they look like. And so it's nice to have a name tag. And so if you haven't got one this morning, I hope during our coffee time after the service that you'll go over and put one on. And that way we'll get to know you. Also, if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you this morning. And so happy you've joined us. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see a QR code. And if you just put your camera on that, it'll take you to our website, which has a a connection card to it. And if you'll fill that out and submit it, we'd love to be able to get to know you better. And, of course, we hope that you'll hang out afterwards, too, so that we can talk to you face-to-face and get to know you. Our missions board is up on the wall and uh, functioning. I want to thank uh, Sean for all the work that he put into helping me to to, uh, get it working. And now I'm in the process of loading it. So it's functional. If you want to walk over and just touch it, touch a continent, touch a country, touch one of the tabs on it, uh, you know, play with it. You, You won't break it. Uh, just, you know, touch it and see what happens. And it's not fully loaded yet. There's a lot of information that's still going to go on there. 
but all of our foreign missionaries, our international missionaries are loaded by name. Not all the pictures are in yet. Not all the bio, biographical information is there yet. But there will be letters. There will be videos. There will be all kinds of information uh, that you can access uh, through that. So I would just encourage you to go over and just play with it. And uh, it's not much on there yet except some names and a few pictures and email addresses. But if you want to go and experiment with it, please do so. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be a wonderful tool for us to be able to uh, continue to be connected uh, with our missionaries. Um, Grief Share, uh, Surviving the Holidays, is, is coming up. On April the 9th, that's a Saturday, it's from 1.30 to 3.30. Uh, if you have had a loss in your life and uh, you, you, you need some tools to be able to know how to survive the holidays, whatever the holiday that is, it might be a birthday or Easter's coming up, it might be Mother's Day or Father's Day and Christmas, all of those, this seminar will help you uh, to have some tools to know how to do that. I'd encourage you to either talk with uh, Diane Evans or myself or Barbara uh, or go online to our website and you can register uh, for it there. That's on April the 9th. Um, Joy Tea is on March the 30th. We're so excited to be able to get together once again and enjoy one another's company. It's at 2 o'clock. No tickets are required. We just want to encourage you to come and be a part Uh, of that wonderful time of uh, fellowship together. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in this place for worship. Thank you, Lord, for the time we've had already in singing songs to you, songs of praise and worship, and to one another. We've been encouraged already today. We pray your blessing upon your word now as it is brought forth to us by our pastor, Mark. We pray that you would anoint him, bless him, and use him, Lord. May we hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Kingdom kids, you can be off to your time this morning now. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. I'm glad you can join us uh, as we open the Word of God once again this morning. Uh, whether you're here or in person uh, or watching us at home, or glad you're yeah glad you're going to join us as we uh, examine God's Word. To do that, uh, you can open up with me to First John chapter four. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses one to six. And as I went through my sermon this week, I noticed it's a kind of a bit of a longer one. I cut some stuff out, but uh, I just thought we'd sort of jump right in. Uh, So we're just going to read the passage, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to start preaching. So uh, if you'd like to follow along, again, reading from our passage, beginning in verse 1, in 1 John chapter 4, we read this. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God 
and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we look at the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error, I pray that, Lord, you would give us the Holy Spirit uh, to be among us, uh, to testify to our hearts, to the truth of your word, uh, the truth of who you are. And Lord, we live in a world with many distractions and many deceptions and many who reject the truth. And Lord, I just pray that as the people of the truth, we would be grounded and founded and surrounded with the truth of God in our lives. And Lord, as we open your word again this morning, I just pray that you would be with us, that Lord, you would anoint me and the words that are spoken, that Lord, you would take this truth and help us to apply it to our lives, that we would not only know it, that we would walk in it uh, in all of our days. And Lord, we just pray you would be glorified, uh, that Lord, your truth would be spoken here today in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to just begin with a story I heard about a freshman uh, in junior high, and he won first prize at the Greater Ohio Falls Science Fair. And his project was, was sort of a simple one. His project was simply, he was urging people to sign a petition that was demanding the strict control or the total elimination of a chemical substance, dihydrogen monoxide. And for plenty good reasons, since as the student pointed out in his demonstration, that this compound causes excessive sweating and vomiting. It's a major component of acid rain. It causes erosion. It can create serious burns in its gaseous state. Accidental inhalation can kill you. And it has even been found in the tumors of terminal cancer patients. So the freshman went out and he asked 50 people if they supported a ban of this chemical. Well, 43 said yes. Six were undecided, but the one, the last one, well, he knew something the others didn't know. He knew uh, the chemical formula for dihydrogen monoxide by its more common name, which is water. It's H2O. Um, so, yeah, and it does all those things, believe it or not. But uh, I kind of wonder after hearing that story if, if the people who signed up to ban drinking water if they felt silly or even betrayed, but rest assured, I'm sure if they'd gotten all the facts, I'm sure the outcome would have been very different. But the reality is, people can be very easy to deceive. Uh, you know, the famous showman P.T. Barnum made a fortune off his theory that there's a sucker born every minute, uh, which is probably why my, you know, my email junk folder is full of Wonderful investment opportunities from Nigerian princes who want to share their inheritance, and the CRA has money waiting for me, and you know the foreign lottery have won that so many times I can't even count. And all I have to do is send money or give them my bank information, and the money will just start rolling in. But of course, I'm not holding my breath on any of those things actually happening because we know the world is full of deception, and it's not just you know science students, and it's not just financial deception. As we come to our passage this morning, we see there's a real danger in the church of being spiritually deceived. And John even says in our passage, uh, 1 John 4, verse 1, says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, 
Uh, that's John's way of saying, don't believe everything you hear. And yet, for the most part, many people do. I mean, as a society, there's so many people who will believe anything they hear about the spiritual realm. Um, you know, there's horoscopes and astrology and the palm and tarot card readers and people who claim they can talk to ghosts and communicate with the dead. Uh, I was actually just shopping this week at Superstore. Uh, I went into the store, just grabbed a few things, came out. There was a flyer on my truck for a psychic. And I'm like, that's weird. And I'm thinking, like, if he's a psychic, would he not know I didn't want his thing? But I guess... Uh, I mean, you go to the bookstores, of you know, the, 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 the new age and the, even the witchcraft sections in the bookstore seems to double every few years. And, you know, heaven forbid you turn on the TV. I mean, there's shows about the paranormal and ghosts and finding Bigfoot. And um, actually, did you know, this, I heard this the other day, that one of the biggest shows on the History Channel, and I repeat, this is the History Channel, is a show called Ancient Aliens that talks about how extraterrestrials may have been responsible for building the pyramids. Oh, History Channel, you disappoint me. Um, but how did we get to this place where we just, we've become so gullible? Well, I think the reason for that, and this may be an oversimplification, but I think the reason for that is because when you approach the truth, there's basically two fundamental sort of worldviews when it comes to the subject of the truth. And those two views can be viewed, uh, can be compared to one view is Plato and one view is a rock. And the Plato worldview of truth says that truth is, is something that's flexible. It's, it's changing. It's unstable and constantly fluctuating. Truth for them is something you can shape into all kinds of things. Anything you really fancy. Truth, truth molds itself to fit you. But the rock perspective See, something, truth is it's being unchanging, as hard, providing a sense of permanence and consistency and solidity and security. And no matter which worldview you happen to hold, it's vital to understand as Christians that we are living in an increasingly Plato-truth culture. Um, truth in our world today is not based on facts uh, or, or any kind of foundation. It's not solid. It's mostly based on feelings, which change all the time. We live in a world where basically everyone kind of believes what they want to believe. You can just make up your own narrative. You can, you can you take your opinion and just, you can put that above facts or proof or reality, and that can be your truth. It doesn't have to have any bearing to reality at all. And because of that, I think from all appearances, it really seems as if, you know, the words and the warning of Paul is coming true right before our eyes. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 3, he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That is basically, that's, that's our world today, and that is, that's false teaching 101. I mean, if you're a false teacher, you tell people what they want to hear, you promise people anything they want to receive, and you do that, and you will never lack an audience. And I think it's so easy to fool people because people want to be fooled. They want to be told the stuff they want to hear. And there's no shortage of false teachers or false teachings in our world right now that are telling people exactly the things they want to hear. 
Now, in fact, John even actually continues in verse 1 saying, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And just note that John says many false prophets have gone out with an emphasis on the many. You know, this is not some little isolated problem that we're dealing with here. This is a clear and present danger to the church. In fact, even as John writes these words, he knows that some of the people in his church have actually fallen away from the truth because of false teachers that were in their midst. So John begins with this encouragement to his readers to to test the spirits. Don't believe everything you hear, but, but put the truth you hear to the test. Because there needs to be discernment in the life and the practice of every single believer. In everything we do, I mean, the books you read, the programs you listen to, the, the shows you watch on TV, the messages that you hear, the preachers that you follow, you need to be double-checking what they're saying when they're making claims of truth. Don't just assume the person who is talking is speaking the truth just because they're wearing a nice suit or they have a lot of university degrees or they pastor a large church. Even the teaching you get from this church, you need to test it. You need to make it a practice, not just to swallow it whole, but to examine it and make sure that what you are hearing is truth that is grounded in the Word of God. And as a pastor, I won't be offended if you do that. I'll actually be pretty impressed. Uh, In fact, one of my favorite passages uh, comes from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Bereans there are practicing discernment. But just, I mean, I guess think about that moment for a second. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul himself, the guy who like wrote half of the New Testament. And he's sitting there and he's teaching them about God. And instead of just saying, hey man, it's Paul, of course he's what he's saying is true. And he's just accepting what Paul is saying, lock, stock, and barrel. They actually said, you know, thank you, Paul. Now we're going to go home and see if what you're saying lines up with Scripture. Even Paul was, was put to the test. And for, not, for that, the Bereans, they are not chastised. They're not called doubters or disloyal. They're not told, oh man, you guys are so high maintenance. Quite the opposite. They're called people of more noble character. Because that's how we keep from falling into error and deception. And that's exactly what John means when he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And thankfully, John actually shows us exactly how we should be doing that in this passage. And I'm going to propose that there's actually five tests uh, here in our passage that John wants us as Christians to use to put truth to the test. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time looking um, at them this morning. As he begins in verse 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. So test number one about truth is we have to ask, what is this teaching saying about Jesus? And in fact, just as important we should also be asking, what is this truth not saying about Jesus? What is this leaving out uh, when it's talking about Jesus? Because the number one thing that false teachers are, are likely to do is to preach a different Jesus. 
Uh, They seek to present a different, changed version of who Jesus Christ is. And thereby, when they change Jesus, they actually begin to preach a different gospel. And for John personally, that meant in his church, you know, that these false teachers were denying that Jesus has actually come in the flesh. You know, that was sort of the brand of heresy that was sweeping through the churches uh, at the time that John was overseeing them. But, you know, that's not just the only uh, thing that false teachers have claimed over the years. Uh, you know, in other New Testament churches, there were claims, false claims that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Uh, they were denying the resurrection. Some were denying the second coming. Some were denying Jesus' divinity. Some were, you know, denying Jesus' salvation, uh, you know, denying his completed works on the cross, and you had to add other things to it. They were denying all kinds of things about Jesus as false teachings went through the early church. So this list of John here, when he says, you know, uh, any spirit that doesn't proclaim Christ, Christ in the flesh, that's not a full listing of the things that false teachers may say about Jesus. It's just John's way of saying what people are teaching about Jesus matters. And you know, it got me thinking about that passage in Matthew where, you know, same problem. You know, there were all these people saying all different kinds of things about Jesus. You know, that Jesus was a prophet, that he was John the Baptist, that he was even Elijah come back from the grave. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives that response in verse 16. He says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, Jesus finally says, finally an answer about who I am that's right. And not only that, this is the very truth upon which my church is going to be built upon. It's the truth of who Jesus Christ truly is. Because the truth, you know, the world may say a lot of things about Jesus, but the only true and clear answer of who Jesus really is is that he, Jesus is God and he is the Christ. Every answer about Jesus other than Christ, the Son of God, is an answer that doesn't go far enough. Every answer, no matter how flattering, that limits Jesus to only being a man is an answer that is wrong. Because salvation depends upon the person of Jesus Christ, that the holy and perfect Son of God, fully human, fully divine, died on the cross in our place to pay for our sin so that we could enter into eternal life. We cannot change or alter the truth about Jesus and who he is. But you know, it's not just the truth about Jesus we need to examine when to know a false teacher. Look again at verse 2, where John writes, uh, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, or ha- every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Um, you know, many commentaries, when John talks about the confession there, uh, many commentaries I read this week uh, point out that when John uses that word confess, he's not just talking about do they agree to a particular set of facts. Uh, this kind of confession is something that's deeper. It's confession that is heartfelt. It's, it's something life-changing. It's confession by the entire being of the person making the confession. This is confession that's more than just lip service uh, for the person. It's something touching their hearts. And that's why the second test of a false teacher is not just about what they're saying or what they're teaching, but it also comes in how they're living. Um, because the truth, you know, when truth, when it's real, in our lives, it should make a difference in how we live. You know, the truth of God equips us, it corrects us, it guides us, it shapes us. Truth shows us the difference between right and wrong and helps us choose the right. Truth transforms who we are. 
But if false teachers are denying God's truth in their hearts, their lives will lack that transformation. So the character of these false prophets, these false teachers, are going to give them away. And the Bible's clear about that in many places. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their, their, their sensuality. Because of, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with, with uh, many false words. Titus 1, beginning of verse 10, Paul says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are setting whole families and teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And Titus 1.16, Paul says, They profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Romans 16, beginning in verse 17, we're warned, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of naive. And even Jesus himself, in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 18, says, he says, beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, you will recognize them by their fruit. You know, the Bible tells us false teachers will be known by their fruit. We know them by their character. And sometimes these false teachers, they have a public life that's on display that looks actually pretty good, but their private life is often a mess that they try to hide. But when you really examine their lives, there's evidence, well, or lack of evidence of fruit. You know, there's shameful displays of unabashed, brazen sensuality. There's selfishness. There's disobedience and debauchery. They're full of pride. They love the spotlight. They reject, you know, authority or any kind of rebuke. And in many times, it just comes down to plain old, there's an attitude of greed. Um, That's one of the hallmarks of false teachers. They're just in it for what they can get out of it. Um, Just one example is a story of a woman called Betty Edie. Uh, in November 1973, uh, Edie allegedly died undergoing a hysterectomy and returned five hours later with claims of secrets from heaven that were revealed to her by Jesus. Of course, that was news to her surgeon who said the surgery went without a hitch. Um, but Edie decided she's going to write a book about her experience. And a Mormon publisher approached her and decided to give her a chance. So originally, her heavenly experience was full of Mormon references, you know, you know with remembering her pre-mortal life and all that kind of stuff. And then the general public began to hear her story. And just as quick, suddenly, her, her, she became more Christian uh, when her books needed to be sold in evangelical stores. And, you know, when she garnered even more fame, she made it on Oprah. So her story changed again. And suddenly heaven was a place everyone was welcome. She even mentioned in one of her follow-up books that Jesus is now pro-choice because uh, it just sold more books. And in case you're wondering, yes, for a fee, she will come and speak to your group. You just have to let her know which one of the Jesuses she's talked about you want her to talk about when she gets there. And that's the way it is. You know, it's sad and it's sickening, but... These false teachers will say anything to promote themselves and get themselves rich. Because their motivations and their character will give them away. And then Paul writes, uh, John writes in 1 John 4, he continues, There, um, they are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. 
We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I know this verse, I think, should be seen as a warning to some Christian ministries out there that are really trying to reshape you know, Christian truth to fit a mod- modern culture. Because John lets us know that the receptive audience for these false teachings is also another dead giveaway of when you're getting it wrong. Because the world loves the lie, but the church loves the truth. And here I think it's important to recognize just the importance of having a community of faith when it comes to discernment. What is the audience that the truth will reach or the truth resonates with? You know, that as a church, we are to discern truth together. John even uses a plural verb in these verses that gives the impression that discerning truth is not just a job for individual believers, but a job for the church as a whole. F.F. Bruce writes, the Bible emphasizes that, that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within a Christian community. And, you know, I know that when I have a question about a teaching that I've heard, that I'm just not sure about, I often will bring that question to other believers that I trust. I want to hear what they think about it, you know. I trust the advice and the wisdom of other believers in my church, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there's something about being in a like-minded community of faith that allows truth to be just seen and understood more fully when we do it together. And likewise, if you're in a place where the only people you listen to, your, your, you know, your references of the world, you're sure to be led astray. And that's why I think it's just so important to connect yourself with a good Bible-believing and Bible-preaching church. Because a good church will make truth its emphasis. A good truth will hold its members accountable to living out the truth. A good church will say those uncomfortable things that the world doesn't want to hear. It'll talk about sin, talk about depravity, talk about judgment, talk about hell, talk about the need of the, for the cross. It'll talk about the reality that not everyone is going to be saved. But it'll also talk about grace, and it'll talk about justification by faith and the love of God. It'll proclaim Jesus as Savior and invite people to know him personally. And that's, that is why when it comes to the truth and discerning truth, you know, the church the church matters. And so does the Bible. Well, let's listen to John in verse 6. He says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And I guess what interested me when I first read that verse is that's actually something that you would probably hear a false prophet say. False prophets are really good at saying that if you want to hear the truth, you need to listen to me. But there's one very important difference there. Because when a false prophet says something like that, his only authority is himself. But when the Apostle John says it, he's speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself gave John the authority to speak in his name. And that is what John's really referencing here. He's not saying the church only listens to John. He's saying the church listens to teaching that has the authority of God behind it. And you know, we don't have apostles like John around anymore to teach us like that, but we do have something just as powerful because we have the word of God. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, equipped for every good work. 
And to me, that's an amazing thought. That's a thought that's almost too big for my brain sometimes. That when you hold a Bible in your hand, you are holding all the revealed wisdom of God for his people. Inerrant, infallible, the Bible is a truly reliable and authoritative source of God's truth in our lives. You know, I still remember Pastor Zig standing up in this pulpit back in the day saying, the Bible is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you know, as a young man, that left an impression on me. And it also means that when we test the spirits, our job is to look and ask the question, does this line up with the Word of God? Because false teachers reveal themselves by teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God and by refusing to accept the authority of the Word of God. Which leaves one final test this morning in discerning truth. And that's the witness of the Holy Spirit. You know, before Jesus was taken to heaven, he promised us the Holy Spirit, uh, saying things like John 16, verse 13. He says, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but he, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit is essential to us knowing the truth and living out uh, the truth, living out our faith as believers. And John has already, actually, the Apostle John has already referenced the role of the Holy Spirit in this book already. Uh, 1 John 2, verse 27, he says, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lying, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So now John talks about the spirit of truth. And when he's talking about, you know, testing the spirits and knowing the spirit of God, it's the Holy Spirit that John is referring to here. It's the Holy Spirit who is at work on the side of truth in our world and in our lives. And you know, I can't emphasize how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives when it comes to knowing the truth. Because you know what, even the greatest scholar, even the most sort of learned professor of Greek and Hebrew languages, even a PhD with a degree in ancient cultures and customs, even they will never be able to understand the Word of God the way our believer does if those people don't have the Holy Spirit to help them. And open their eyes. The Holy Spirit helps us to see truth. Helps us to understand truth. Helps us to apply truth. Helps us to live out the truth of God in our lives. And until the Holy Spirit is connecting all of those things in our life personally, in a person's heart, they're never really going to get it. Because the Holy Spirit is essential to knowing and hearing and understanding and living God's truth. The Holy Spirit within us testifies to the truth of God in our lives. And that's how we test the Spirit's. That's how we test the teachings that we hear in our lives. That's how we test the truth of our faith, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus. We put those things to the test. Which actually leaves us just one more thing I want to talk to you about. Because uh, as you notice, I may have skipped, I've actually skipped over one verse. And it's right in the middle of our passage. We're in the middle of all this. John writes, verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this is such an important verse, I think, when it comes to living out the truth in our lives. Because I think one danger that, that may happen when we hear John talking about all of these things is, is that we hear them out of balance. You know, John sets up this rivalry between truth and lies, between God and the devil, between Christ and Antichrist. And if we're not careful, we can begin to think that this battle is between two evenly matched parties, but it's not. 
And even as our world, you know, undermines our faith at every turn, as the gospel, you know, is attacked at every angle, the schools teach evolution, universities deny scriptures, laws, you know, have stripped out religion from most public institutions, it can become easy to doubt and hard, ask hard questions about our faith. Is it gonna, is it gonna, you know, where's the balance? But you know, even though the ground of this world is tipped heavily in the enemy's favor, when it comes to the power of Jesus and the truth and the devil and his lies, it's not even close. I mean, the, the size of the contestants in this battle is ridiculously overmatched. It's like the universe itself in all of its grandeur versus a speck of dust. And even that comparison's not enough. Because John says, he rises, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Put emphasis on the greater. And he's telling us that in this battle, God's truth wins. And it's not even a contest. And that means ultimately, in light of eternity, there's no need for the believer to fear, no matter how out of balance the world seems right now. And I'm sure life's not a cakewalk. It's tough. We still have to be careful. The world still tries to lead people astray, and we have to hold fast to the, you know, the truth of God but if we do that, in the end, we have the victory. In the end, we are more than conquerors in Christ. And John's just reminding us, in this battle between truth and evil and all that stuff, he's saying God's strength's not going to fail you. His resources are sufficient. They, God's enemies and our enemies have been defeated and defeated completely on the cross. Victory is ours and it's eternal and our salvation is assured and God's truth, it's never going to fail. So I think this is John's way of saying, don't be afraid to live your life with passion. Don't be afraid to step up in faith. Don't be afraid to trust in God's strength instead of your own. Don't be afraid to claim Christ's victory in your life. Don't be afraid to reject the lies of the world so that you can embrace God's truth. Because as Christians, as people of the truth, there's no other way for us to live. Because even in this Plato world of ours, it's time for us to take a stand for what's true. Because God's truth, it doesn't just make a little bit of difference in our lives. It makes all the difference. It's the truth of Christ that changes lives. It's the, the truth of Christ and who he is that gives us hope. It's the truth of Christ that sets us free. It is the truth of Christ that's the foundation of our lives, both now and for eternity. So don't let anything lead you astray. Test the Spirit so that you can walk in truth because truth matters. And that should be our goal as the children of God, to test and hear and know and live God's truth in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that, Lord, you would help us to be people of truth. People of truth in a world uh, that so often will reject your truth rejects the light, rejects Christ, and, and Lord, just would oppose everything that we stand for. Because men love the darkness instead of the light. They would rather hear lies that their itching ears want to hear than the truth of God that would set them free. And Lord, we live in a world where truth is under attack, even more so today than maybe ever, ever else in the world. And false teachers and bad teaching, it's, it's out there. And it is leading people astray. But Lord, as your people, I pray that you would help us to be careful with the truth. As your people, you, you would help us to test the truth and remind us to test the truth. 
Remind us not to believe everything we hear, but Lord, put that truth to the test. Compare it to the word of God so that we would know truth from error and that we would hold on to the truth. That it would be the good deposit deposited within us that we would walk and live out the truth of God. And that Lord, as a church, we would be a church that continues to preach the truth, that preach the word of God, preach Jesus and, and who he is as our Lord and Savior who died on the cross. And that, Lord, we would know that in Christ, no matter what the world is trying to say or however it's trying to lead us, that in Christ the victory is ours because greater are you than he who is in the world. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, again to know and live the truth of God. In Jesus' name, amen.